Spirit. We've been talking about the need of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and this message fits right into that. And in a couple weeks, we're going to start on Pentecost Sunday. Pastor Kevin's going to kick off a whole message series. We'll go through the whole summer about the book of Acts, and we'll be looking at the early church and the Holy Spirit's involvement. But today, as we're kind of priming up for that sort of thing, I felt like God had led me to this story in 1 Kings 18 19. It said about Elijah and a confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and then some of the aftermath afterwards. And so the title I have of this message today is, What Are You Doing Here? And that is the question I think God is asking me. I think he's asking you. I think he's asking all of us, like, what are you doing here? And you're going to find where this comes into the story uh, once we get to it. But I'm, what I'm going to do is, you know, sometimes we read a whole chunk of scripture and then we talk about it. This one I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and read highlights as we go along, because it's it, the story I'm going to tell is basically the entire two chapters of, it, it goes into 17, but it's really 18 and 19 of First Kings. So if you want to go back and read it on your own time, I highly recommend it. Uh, I think it's kind of speaking to where we are as a church, what we're doing, what we're hungering, up, hungering for. And so, so let's dive into it. So Israel had turned their back on God, and they'd started following other gods, you know, idols and these sorts of things. They were crediting idols for things God had done and forsaking the covenant they have with God, and the king uh, is named Ahab, his wife Jezebel, they've done some really bad stuff, they've started working with false prophets and all kinds of junk, and so Elijah, the prophet of God, is instructed by God to, to prophesy that there's going to be a drought kind of in response to that, and that's in 1 Kings 17.1, and it says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who I am whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few, few years except for my word. So this is a response to Israel turning their back on God. God's like, then there's not going to be any rain for a while. And the prophet is telling the king this so that it'll look like, you know, it's not just the weather. You see, like God is doing this to, like, to make a point, you know. And so this angers the king. And um, this whole thing starts, there's no, there's no water, people are sick, blah, 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 you know, the kind of things you would think in a family. And so uh, finally, I guess they've had enough, I don't know, God says to Elijah, all right, it's time to confront this guy. Like, he's been sitting in this famine and drought and all for long enough. Let's go confront him. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, the Pharaoh and Moses kind of stuff. You know, some of these people just have a, a hard head. And so you see in 1 Kings 18.1, he says, after a long time, in the third year, so this has been going on for three years, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So you got people, turn their back on God, the rain has stopped, God is saying, go present yourself to the king, and I will bring the rain back. This is good news, this is a good thing. So he goes, Elijah goes to present himself to the king. He finds Obadiah, who's a prophet also, but a servant to the king. He's like, hey, go tell the king I'm here. The king, and he's like, yeah, see, I don't um, want to do that because if I tell him that you're here and then you leave before he comes, like he's been looking for you. <laughs> and he'll kill me because you're not here. You know, and Elijah's like, no, I promise. I promise I'll be here. But you can read some of this in 1813 to 14. Obadiah is like, look, man, I I'm good. And I've even like saved some of the prophets. Like, they've been killing all the prophets. Jezebel's been killing all the prophets, but I took a hundred of them, put 50 in a cave, and I feed them and give them water, and 50 more in a cave, and I feed them and give them water. So now you're going to send me on this death mission. And Elijah's like, no, 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 don't worry. 
you're good. I'm going to stay here. And so he says, fine. He goes against the king. The king comes. And the king greets him this way. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? That's what the king is now saying to Elijah. And then Elijah says back, I have not made trouble for Israel. You have. But you and your, he says, you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the balls, Baals or whatever. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So this is a situation, like the king's like, this guy's causing all this trouble because he's calling us out on all this bad stuff. So he's, he's calling us out. He's calling me out. But now, perfect. Because I wanted to just kill him. But now, I can humiliate him and then kill him. That's great. That's what the king, I think, is thinking in this moment. Because so he's like, yeah, let's do that, you know. And uh, so Elijah, this is a pretty bold thing. He's saying, let's meet, you know, me and you're like 900 so guys or whatever, you know. Because you're all, you know, if you're right, you're right, you know. And so he continues um, kind of, th- like, like I said, the, 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 the drought was a message from God. This also is the same way. And you see um, in 1 Kings 18, 22, and 24, they gather on Mount Carmel in front of everyone. Everyone is everybody else, okay? So it's the king, these prophets, and everybody else is watching who's also turned their back on God, okay? Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it, put it on the wood. Sorry. Cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. You call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of, my, of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people said, That's a good, this is a good, we like this. This is a good challenge. So they feel confident in Baal and everything. So you've got 450 against one guy. And uh, so just so everybody understands exactly what's going on, they take two bulls. They, they, they prepare them, and they've set them now on, like, this is like a worship. There's an altar where, like you see in the Old Testament, a lot of times they would burn offerings to God. So you take an animal, you set it on there, you burn it up, and it's a symbol of, you know, it's like when we give, you know, like a, a, a bull being, you know, important, but also financially, like this is, a, this is a financial sacrifice we're giving to God. Like when we give our money to the Lord, that's the kind of thing. And so um, he's saying, set it all up, but don't do any of the fire parts. You know, let's let God do that part. And that way God will show who's God. And either you're right or I'm right. I mean, let's just see what happens, you know. And so, uh, let me keep going here. So the prophets, so they go, this is great. And so he's like, you guys go first in First Kings 18, 26 to 29. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. That's a long time. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy traveling. These are all, these are all also specific insults that, you know, 
these idolatry people. Like it's like he's he's not just nitpicking in a funny way. He's poking at the fact that this is an idol. So it's literally it's like it can't move on its own, you know. And it's and it's it's stone. It's not in thought, and it's not busy because it can't do anything, you know. So he's literally like pointing out all of its, you know. And then this, maybe he is sleeping, and must be awakened, you know. So they shout louder, and then they slash themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. So now they're trying to provoke Baal to do the fire thing by cutting themselves in front of him. Like, this is how dedicated we are. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. It's interesting. I never noticed that no one paid attention until right now. No one paid attention. They were unsuccessful. They tried all day, doing everything they got. None of it works. But now it's Elijah's turn. And you see in 1 Kings 18, 30 to 33, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. So they came to him and they repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And this is important. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it. This wasn't even part of the deal. He's like, I'm going to add on top of this. He digs a trench large enough to hold two sayers of, of seed. So it's a big trench. And he arranged the wood, and he cut the bone to pieces and laid on the wood. So now I'm in the same setup you got, but mine has a trench around it. Then he said to them, fill large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So if you were standing before God and wanting him to catch something on fire, is pouring water on it a good idea? And then he has them do it two more times. So now they've completely filled this entire trench with water. So he's like, let there be no mistake here. Because I remember I said, this is a message from God now. It doesn't have anything to do per se with Elijah and everything in that way. God is saying, I'm God and this other stuff isn't. And so he's like, make it even harder. Like, I, like they can't, they've been working at this all day with nothing. Cover it with water. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, you know. But we often find ourselves almost in this exact same spot where the world around us is claiming and doing all of these things, shouting even louder, all, you know, screaming, hurting themselves, all of this, all of this. And then we go, well, I think, I think God has something to say about this. And then it looks worse. And then it looks worse. And now it's all covered in water. That's typically, we find ourselves in these kind of positions a lot. And I heard a pastor, Mark Sayers, quoting N.T. Wright about this exact same. He said, the priests of, of Baal, this, and which he described as the self-appointed leaders of our secular Western culture, have danced around, cutting themselves with their own theories, dreaming dreams of progress or revolution, and still the kingdom has not come. And many of the faithful Yahweh scribes have retreated into caves, safe in their private worlds. And he was saying the land is seeded with people of faith, but they're captured by fear. So you've got 450 of these prophets of Baal doing their thing. You've got Elijah by himself. But we know that there's at least 100 other guys. But they're not coming out because they're worried they're going to get killed by this force over here. So there's this fear that grips everybody and this inaction. Meanwhile, the challenge is, is set. Either God is God or God isn't kind of like what I said earlier today. It's like either this stuff, either it is, either either this all means something 
or it's meaningless. Like, what are you doing here? This is the question. Remember, don't forget that. We're still caught in this story. But like, what are you doing here? Like, what are we doing here, you know? So it's Elijah's turn now. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And so this is what happens right after that. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice which you would expect, but it also burned up the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, <laughs> they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Now, did God make his point there? So when things look the absolute worst, can't get any worse, God shows up and settles the score so, so immediately, so instantly, so totally, that everybody's heart is turned back. Now, two things to keep remembering. The question we're asking is, what are you doing here? So we're going to get to that. The second thing is this. What did God say he would do when Elijah went to go see the king? Bring the rain back, right? Now, he's praying here that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And so, what I want to talk about, this is going to be a, because what, what happens is, I'll say this first and then I'll explain. There's a time when we have to be ready to stand up, and call for the fire of God to come down, and let it be what it is, you see? <laughs> and then you see what happens after that. The people repent. They're like, oh my gosh, this is the Lord is God. And then, then Elijah under the Lord's direction and an anointing, literally kills all those prophets. So all of those ones that were there, they're dead now. So it's like he's wiping out. Again, you see this sort of, like, we need to get rid of all of this evil. And he's getting rid of it. He's, eliminate, he's removing these prophets totally. And it says in there, like, he sends the king away, like, hey, head back home. The rain is coming. We're all good. And he goes up and sits on a hill, it says, he, he, it says he literally sits down and has his head between his legs. And he's like, it's not raining yet. But all this other stuff is happening. You know, we've, we've, God's shown up. That's great. People have turned back. That's great. They've set things with the king. That's great. We've killed off and removed all this evil. That's great. There's still no rain yet. Okay? So he sends this, you know, hey, did you see any clouds? No. Check again. No, check again. And, like, finally he sees a tiny cloud in the distance. It's like, finally, okay, what God has said is going to happen is finally happening, okay? And the whole thing, ha you know, the, the rain comes, and there's another interesting story of him running, you know. And But the question I, I, I want us to think about is, did Elijah get what he expected or what he wanted? And I think that, in some ways, the answer is yes, and in some ways, the answer is no. And what I want to focus on today is in the no, okay? Because I think that when we stand before God, even if we're willing to be bold, which sometimes we are and we'll need to be, 
because we need to be calling on the fire of God, especially against the surrounding culture that we're dealing with, okay? Claiming to do things that God only can do. Uh, we need to stand against that. And there's going to be times when God boldly shows the fact that he is God for their benefit and all this kind of thing. But the next uh, chapter starts with a very interesting turn. 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So, stepped out in the name of God, boldness. God shows up and does God things that only God can do. Powerful, celebration, awesome. The rain is back. I've even sent the king back. We're good. You obviously see who God is, right? But did he? I don't know. It doesn't really tell you. Ahab either understood who God was but was too scared of his wife or he chickened out. I, I don't know, you know, but he, you would think from reading all this and seeing how it goes that the people have repented and the king has repented because Elijah doesn't kill him. He sends him back and says the rain is coming, yada, yada, go, go celebrate or whatever. And so you have immediately the response from the king again. So this is why it's them together. Now we're going to kill you for this thing that happened. So you would think, okay, well, I've just, I mean, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> we just did this whole thing, you know, like, do you think I'm going to be scared? Are you threatening to kill me? You know, like, God just showed up and burned up the whole thing. And I killed the other, like, now you're going to tell me you're going to kill me? But that's not how Elijah responded. This is the thing I want us to pick up on today. This is Elijah's response, 1 Kings 19, 3-5. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life, which is so, you can get down on the guy and be like, dude, come on. But we do this all the time. We pray for some mighty thing. God does it, and we're so celebrating them, but we've made assumptions. Well, if this happens, then all of this other stuff will happen. God didn't necessarily say that. He said the rain would come back, and the rain came back. He didn't promise the king's heart would be changed. He didn't promise that they weren't going to try to kill him because of it. You might assume that. Like, if I'm the guy standing over here and I'm praying and God does all this amazing stuff, I go, hey, like, that worked out, you know. Obviously, I'm not the bad guy, you know. And they're like, nope, we're going to kill you. You see what I'm saying? We assume so often we add to what God is doing. We see extra pieces. And then when those things don't happen, we do exactly this thing. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey away into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down and under it. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors, and lay down in the bush to fall asleep. Now, does that sound like a man who's just accomplished some great things for God? But I'm going to tell you, this is a lot of times how it is, and it's not because they're bad. It's not, it, we're all fallen and all this kind of stuff, but it's the assumptions we make, I think, that lead us to disappointments or fear when it doesn't make any sense to be afraid when you've seen what's happened. And so his prayers, I think, immediately turn away from God and towards himself. I've had too much. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors and all this kind of thing. 
And so God says, okay, we need to talk, obviously. <laughs> and he sends him on a journey. He gives him some food and says, okay, you need to walk. And he walks back to um, the mountain where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. So this is an important historical place. And God meets him, and he asks him the main question that, so Elijah's hiding in a cave, and God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? And he could be saying, like, why did you run? Like, you don't think I can handle this? Or what are you, like, but the other thing is also an interesting thing to think about is, like, why are you here? Like, why did you come here? Because he knows where this mountain is. He knows how important this mountain is. Like, why did you come here? Like, why did you run back here? And I think God is asking us this today. Like, what are you, like, what are you doing here? So I guess you could emphasize, what are you doing here? <laughs> and what are you doing here? <laughs> and Elijah answers him. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars. True. And put your prophets to death by the sword. Also true. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Which, again, I feel like is, again, we're, we've lost sight of some of God in this thing, and we're now worried about ourselves here. So God gives him instructions like, go, stand, and I'm going to pass by, and then I'm going to speak to you, okay? So he steps out, and he sees, and this is another amazing interaction that he has with God where this wind comes. It's like so unbelievably powerful, but then the Bible says God's voice wasn't in the wind. And then there's an earthquake that like shakes the whole mountain and everything, but God's voice wasn't in the earthquake. And then there's a fire, another fire. Remember, we just had a fire. Surely that's God, but God's voice wasn't in the fire. And then after that, he heard a whisper. And he's like, this is the voice of God. And the question he gets asked is the exact same one that God already said to him. What are you doing here? And so what I see is God has called us. He's established us. He's calling us to be bold and declare things and to do things in his name in this world that is overtaken by all sorts of demonic things, whatever, all of this. They're claiming all of these things, and there's time we'll stand up and we'll do these great things, and God's going to answer, and God does do these things, but then the rage of this group comes back, and we get afraid again, and we go hide again, and then God says, what are you doing here? And I think what the whole picture is drawing is about doubting God, because God does something amazing, but then the rage is starts to, and then we start to get, and then we're raging, and then you have this weird exchange between God, God, this violent wind, you know, and this stuff kind of echoes some of the stuff that happened with Moses in this exact same mountain. So you wouldn't be wrong if you were sitting there thinking, "Oh, this is probably God," but it isn't. And then another thing happens that's also like wild and crazy. He's like, "Well, this is probably God," but it isn't. And then there's a third thing that's. Just happened. Like, God just did that. God literally just sent fire from heaven. You go, this must be God, but it isn't. He's speaking in this quiet voice. I think there's a lot of times when the rage of this world, which I've seen in the last while in the church and everything, we've all seen it. This world has been crazy. And we think God's going to answer in the exact same level of crazy. You see what I'm saying? And I think that what God is saying to us is, (laughs) 
you're seeing this, and then you've seen me do things, and you're looking for those same things again, and I can show you. I can do I mean, whatever. Here, look, there, da 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 da, da whatever. Uh, it's, I'm God. I mean, come on. But it's like, but he needs to quiet us back to listen to the whisper. You need to calm down, you know. And so God quiets this rage inside of Elijah to say, you know, what are you doing here? But Elijah literally repeats his answer, exactly the same thing. I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and tore down your altars, put your prophets to death but with a sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. And so God finally answers him back. And he tells him what to do. And I think so often when you journey with God and you've seen God do amazing things and you've gotten afraid and you come back and you see God and you're like, is that God? I don't know. Is that God? I don't know. I don't, is that God? I don't know. And then God is speaking to you in this intimate way. And we answer back to him, God, I'm the only one left. Like in this, this thing, you've got this whole struggle in my life, this whole struggle in my family, this whole thing. I'm the only one left. And I've come back to the historical things. This is the place you spoke to Moses. That's obviously the place to go, you know. And it's the place where you do amazing things. So I'm back here trying to get in touch with those amazing things. And God says to him this, verse 15, go back the way you came. He sends him back. And he does send him back with some instructions like you need to anoint this guy. He's going to be the king. That guy's going to clean up this situation. You need to get this other guy to work with you, Elisha, and he's important. And, and he gives him all this stuff to do. But then at the, and he's like, okay, I got that. I'm going back. I'm going back to where I ran away from. I'm going back to what I, like, I ran away from the situation that God had put me in. I'm going to go back to it now with this instructions from God. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I think it's <laughs> this ultimate turning in on yourself that we tend to do in these kind of moments. I just want to die. It's too hard. I just want to give up. Look how terrible this is. I just want to, da, 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 da. you know, I'm the only one left. And God's like, <laughs> just by the way, there's 7,000 other people out there. And like it's like that thing that Mark Sayers had said, I just quoted, that the land is seated with the faithful, you know, that as we turn our eyes away from God and turn our eyes away from what God is doing and turn towards maybe you hear about like kind of the heart, like what God is doing versus who God is or something like that. And I don't know if there's a whole lot of distinction there, but you could say, I'm looking, I'm seeing the fire come. I'm, see I'm seeing the wind ripping. It sounds like ripping the mountain apart or something like that. That would get your attention. Obviously, God's doing that, but he wasn't. And then there's another huge earthquake. Obviously, God's doing that, but he wasn't. And then no fire, we've just been there, and he wasn't. And it takes quite a bit of tuning <laughs> to be able to hear the voice of God in the midst of all of that. And I think that as we turn in on ourselves and we immediately, it's like a reflection of the fall, Adam, and, and Eve is like, you know, I can do better. It, come on up here, Kayla. The, uh, um, that we start to trust our own sense, our own abilities. And then when we end up just, the world gets so small that there's nothing left 
and that we are um, we're putting ourselves in that position of God to the point that we're the only one left. You know, our, our, our despair, our anger, our pain, our hurt has turned, we've turned away from everyone else. We're the only one left. And we're, and I'm not saying he's not a righteous person, you know, or whatever. What I'm saying is that all of our righteousness is like a heap of rags. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Dirty rags. And when we turn back to ourselves, we're the only one left. As if God couldn't use the only one left to do something, God instead decides to remind him, like, I've got 7,000 other people. Like, we're good. And I think the main point God is saying is that, you know, when I asked, like, did Elijah get the answer he wanted or expected? He was praying that God would kill him. He's praying that this would be over. He's praying that, like, I don't have any, you know, just take me, God. I don't even, you know. And God is like, no, I've got things I need you to do. Go back where you came from. Get these things done. And I'm in control. I'm in control. You're not the last one. There's 7,000 other people that I'm using and that aren't going to bow down. And they're going to do all this stuff. But God wants us. He wants to use us. He wants to send us. But he wants us to remember that he's in charge at all times. And so is this a sad ending for Elijah? The answer is no. I mean, he, he goes on and does some of these things, and you can read more about it. And uh, eventually he gets taken up into heaven. And it's this kind of grand thing. But you could go like, well, is this guy like, he's like a chicken or something, you know? Because, I mean, look what he did. He ran away, you know? But you look forward several hundred years. When Jesus is standing on the mountain of transfiguration, it says, in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before him, them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. So in one of these key moments in Jesus' whole earthly life where he's revealing his deity and who he is, he wants to talk, and, and, he, like, and the Bible talks about Jesus being the summation of all of the law and the prophets. And the two people, these aren't symbols here. These aren't like really ghosts either. These are the, the same guy. Who show up to talk with him are Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. So, if this guy, based on that, is... The prophet of prophets of something like that. You know, like, I need to make this point. That's the guy. It's Elijah. And Elijah's talking with Jesus now. This is in the New Testament. I think we can not let ourselves off the hook in the sense of, like, well, it's all right if we fail all the time. What I mean by that is, you know, this is a struggle all of us will encounter as we follow God. Because it got to this guy. And this guy is the summation of the prophets in a sense. You see what I'm saying? So we're not better, you know? And what I think God is trying to open us up to is that the lesson that we can learn from this, the lesson we can learn from his example here is that in, in spite of all of the struggle, in spite of all of the, the world around us, the prophets of Baal, in spite of the king still wanting to kill us and his wife still wanting to kill us, we can trust 
Because God works the story out. We can trust God no matter what, no matter what the circumstances look like. And we're not alone. God is good. God is in charge. God has a plan. And we're not alone. There's always more. Every time I have the feeling like, oh, my gosh, like, what are we going to do? There's nobody like, and God's like, I've got 7,000 other people, you know. And for you, it might be like four other people, or it might be like 100 other people, or it might be 10,000. I don't know. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It depends on what we're thinking about or talking about in that moment. But this despair of giving up isn't something that God has for his people. And it can hit us even after we've seen the fire of God fall from heaven. So, Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts places of doubt and places of fear that hide themselves, like these prophets hid in caves in us, or that we hide. Lord, give us boldness to stand as Elijah did before the prophets of Baal and before the king and before everyone and to declare your truth of who you are and what you do and then watch you do those things. But then afterwards, even if they try to kill us, let us not be afraid. Let us not run away. Let us hear your still and quiet voice even in the midst of all of that and faithfully follow you, Lord. And I just pray for your grace to be poured out on us, Lord. Call us up into higher places, Lord. Call us into a higher vision. Let us see what we need to see to be more like you, Lord. And God, I ask that you would give us boldness to declare it. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And I pray that you would be, that we would be people marked by your presence, marked by the filling of your spirit, marked by all the things that you do and not be ones that are so focused on ourselves of we're the last one we're all uh, this that's not worth it I, don't, I just want to die i'm not any better than anybody else i don't even it's like it doesn't matter who we are lord you are the one who makes us who we are you're the one who says who we are you're the one who declares who we are you're the one who speaks life over to it over us and lord i pray that we would receive your words and your still voice and if the the world is raging and the earthquake is raging, the wind and the fire and all of this around us is raging, Lord, that we would still be able to hear your quiet voice inside our hearts. Lord, make us more like you in Jesus' name. And I just pray that you would fill this place with your presence as she sings in Jesus' name. Oh, he-